We're going to talk about morality today. Put your seatbelt on. Who knows what's right and wrong? Who knows? Think about it. Like what is good and what is bad? What is not too bad, but okay? What is, what is so good that you get on everybody's nerves? What, what is it? What's the line? Who, who draws the line? How do we differentiate between good and bad all the time? And, and who gets to pick? And our culture in the United States has been going through a dramatic transformation as far as morality over the last about 25 years, really. Actually, since, actually, if you want to go all the way back since the 60s, real transformation of what's right and wrong. And I don't know about you, but it feels like today it's on warp speed. What is right and wrong is getting transformed right before our very eyes at the speed of light. And it's hard to keep up. It's hard to be able to say, no, that's wrong. Well, well, no, everybody thinks it's right now. Well, I just went to bed yesterday and it was wrong. So I don't know what to do. So we're going to read in God's word. And we're going to try to figure this out a little bit. We're going to have a couple conversations about morality. So we're actually going to read from Hebrews chapter five, because there's a a point I want to prove to get to what's right and wrong. So why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read Hebrews chapter five. We're going to start in verse 11. Are you ready? About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish, what are those words there? No, 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 go back, go back on the, to distinguish between what? Good and evil. So he said, listen, if the church is just immature all the time, you'll never be able to decide what's good and evil. You'll never be able to distinguish between the two. Look at your neighbor and say, come on, it's time to eat some meat. Spiritual meat, you're a vegetarian, you can still eat this type. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation, for God is not unjust So as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, 
so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, this is where I want you to lean in. Listen to this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise that the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We literally just sang of the, of the fact that you have the power to change us. And we pray that your word would do it this morning. Lord, let us be sure of what we believe. And more than being just sure, let us practice it. Let us practice it for the sake of our families, for the sake of our culture, for the sake of our nation, for the sake of the gospel going forward. Let us be doers of good. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. All right. When we start talking about what's right and wrong, morality, what is moral, the question of origin always comes up. Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? And that's the argument we're having right now in our culture. Who gets to decide? Everything has become political. And so if you think something's right, you belong to one side. And if you think something's right, you belong to the other side. And, and everything's getting all messed up. And nobody knows what it should look like. And so everybody's just making up their own mind for themselves. And that's, that's can, we just, can we just agree that's pretty much where we're at? Because if we're truthful, America has walked away from the idea that God is the, is the origin of morality. We've walked away from it. Europe walked away from it decades ago. America is following suit. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't know that that ends well. And so the church has to make up our mind what we believe about it. And in this tug of war, this this conversation about a biblical worldview, the church has to be confident that when I'm making a decision about what's right and wrong, I'm filtering it through the right thing. I'm filtering it through the right thing. Am I filtering through what my neighbors think are right and wrong? Am I filtering it on what, what, what TikTok thinks is right? And wrong? What am I going to filter it through? At the end of the day, what am I going to discipline my kids for? I'm going to tell you something. I got spanked for stuff kids don't get spanked for anymore. Amen? 
So when morality is discussed, the topic of origin is always front and center. Where does moral law originate? Who gets to continue to decide what is moral as time goes on? Is moral absolute decided by our culture? Is it determined by individuals? Is, is it determined by God? Is it, is it up to man's opinion? Is it subjective? But we throw this word truth around. And the truth is, the truth is changing. We question what's true, don't we? Isn't it strange that in the world we live in today, we have to have fact checkers because facts aren't automatically facts anymore. Now, if you were in 1950 and somebody said, that's a fact, you'd have been like, oh, 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 that's a fact. Somebody's proved it to be true. Now, if we say that's a fact, somebody goes, oh, no, I I looked on another website. I got, I got two other websites. Matter of fact, I created my own website. And what my website says is more truer than what your website says. In order to have an unchanging morality, you have to have an unchanging source for the morality. Because, because listen, can I let you in a little secret? Um, I get paid to be good. Yeah, at the end of the day, if I'm really bad, I stop getting paid. So my job is different than a lot of your all's jobs. Because jobs I worked at before, I could go to work. And as long as I did my job, I could be bad outside of my job. Any of you got jobs like that? That's a cool job to have. But me, I, I get paid to be good in the job and out of the job. Everybody following me. Okay. But I, can I be a little bit transparent with you? Not a lot transparent, just a little. Um, there are times where I'm not good all the time, even though it's a requirement. But, but who's defining what's good and what's bad? Because, because um, sometimes I wear T-shirts on stage. I'd have got thrown out of the church in 1950 for wearing a t-shirt on stage, right? Think about it. What's good and bad? You thought I was going to talk about something I did sinful. No, I'm not doing that. In order for truth to be true all the time, then somebody above us who are applying the truth has to be consistent. Because here's what the truth is. Nobody on earth that is currently defining truth is consistent in that same truth. None of you, not not me, none of my family. Nobody in the building has been consistently true, even towards the things that we're convinced are true. So if I I do the little litmus test, how many of you believe lying's wrong? When I do this, that's an indication that you should join me. How many of you believe lying's wrong? Oh, this is getting better. Everybody's like, well, I mean, I got to agree with the crowd. (laughs) Now, if you have lied, raise your hand as well. More people have lied than actually believe lying's wrong. (laughs) All right. So what that tells us is, 
is that even though we believe lying is wrong, we've all participated in it. So that poses a problem for us. That means at some point in time, listen to me, that means at some point in time, I will probably justify the wrong because it was expedient for me. Well, it wasn't that big of a lie. Matter of fact, we defined them, right? It was a little white lie. It was, a little, it was innocent. Oh, I'm going to go tell them everything. So what we find out is we, in fact, are defining what's true, but we are also incapable of adhering to what's true. Amen? Now, I know for some of you perfectionists, you're like, well, that's not truly, totally true. I'm really, really, I've, I've never lied intentionally. Like sleepwalk lying. Like, I don't even know what you're doing. You've lied. Get over it being a perfectionist. Strange. So watch what the writer of Hebrews is doing. Now, you remember when he's, some people think this is Paul, but some people, but scholars are really not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but he addresses, he addresses the suffering, the persecution of Christians. And so he's leaning in to them having hope in their circumstances. And he's saying, listen, if you're going to stay immature in the faith, there's no way you're going to make it through all this stuff. Are you following me? Now, that, now listen, there's nobody getting locked up in the United States yet. They're not rounding up churches. But, but there is a sense of cultural pressure on the church to give up some of its beliefs. Are we in agreement about that? Okay, so... The writer of Hebrews is addressing a much more severe thing. My contention is we shouldn't, we shouldn't say, oh, ours is terrible. We should say we better get it straight before it becomes terrible. So he's saying in order for you to have hope in these circumstances, you've got to settle in your heart what's true. You've got to settle in your heart the deep things of God. Not these, not these basic principles of the faith. So he goes into this little bit of a rant about, hey, listen, you guys should be teaching this by now. You guys should be questioning things like faith and that we're not saved by works. You should be embracing this and you should be moving on to the deeper things of truth. Because if you don't, okay, picture it like this. How many, how many of your kids, when you, when you had kids uh, and they were six years old, looked at you and said, Dad, I know what truth is. No, you were teaching them. Don't hit your sister. Don't, don't, don't eat raw chicken. You know, things like that. Some of those things happened in our home. Um, but you're teaching them why. It seems silly to say don't eat raw chicken, but they'll do it. Hey, don't flush things down the toilet that won't make it all the way. These are basic principles of life. But we have to teach them. Now, if your 30-year-old comes in and they're eating raw chicken, you're like, hey, I got, there's no hope, bro. You're not going to make it. Are you following me? So your kids grow up and they move out of the house and there's an expectation that now we're going to move on to more adult conversations. You've already mastered the not flushing toys down this toilet. <laughs> we're proud of you for that. Now we're going to move on some more responsible things. Paul's saying the same thing. If you think you're going to make it through this difficulty, 
you've got to move on from these elementary teachings. You've got to grow up a little bit. And so, so he admonishes them at the beginning. You should be teaching this stuff by now. You should be leaning into this because, because the deeper you go, the more hope you have to persevere through it. And if we're not careful as the American church, we're going to be standing here one day going, I don't think there's any hope. And what we have to do is not lean into the elementary teachings of how we get saved, but to get deep into the word of God and go, hey, listen, my hope is steadfast because he never changes. Even everything around me, even my culture, my town, my neighborhood, all this stuff could change, but he never changes. And my hope is secure in him in the future. Not in what's going on here. So in a discussion of the origin of biblical morality, we look at what the writer of Hebrews says towards the end of that portion of scripture we read. You notice he switched to, to Abraham. So, so this is why this is important. Because the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, hey, hold fast to your hope. Hold fast to your hope. Why is this important? Because God promised Abraham something that was impossible. Anybody remember that story? There was Abraham and his wife, Sarah. God made him a promise. He was childless. And he said, your, your descendants will be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And Abraham went, we don't have any kids. I don't know if you overlooked that. So that God comes to him in a, as an old man. It says his wife was past childbearing age. Those dreams had departed. Okay, God says, you're going to have a baby. Matter of fact, it was so absurd that his wife laughed. And, and there's, a, there's a story there where she laughs and, and God basically says, why are you laughing? And she lied. I'm not laughing. Yes, you were laughing. And then they get all confused and they start You'll have to read it. We got some. It's not PG. (laughs) They got the servant lady and Ishmael and all kinds of crazy stuff happens before they finally accept the promise. Now, here's why this is so important, because the promise came later than what they anticipated. So so the promise was down there. Now, when, when the writer of Hebrews starts talking to them about not losing hope for the future, he says, consider Abraham. When God made an oath to Abraham, he didn't, he, he, he swore by himself. When you first read that, you're like, well, I don't know what's happening here. So do, do you remember when a public official would take office? They still do it now a bit. What would they lay their hand on? Say it again. Why? Because the Bible was believed to be what? True. All the time. True. 100% true. So you lay your hand on the Bible, swearing on something greater than yourself. Right? You were going, I swear by me, and I'm pretty good. No, you were laying your hand on the word of God because it was true. Now, if you go back into the ancient times where, where where the Abraham covenant would have taken place... They were swearing on things greater than themselves. So they would swear on the, the moon and star. They would, they would swear on something more permanent than them, greater than them. So when God makes the oath with Abraham, what does he do? What's he going to swear by? 
The sun? He created the sun. God had nothing to swear by. So God says, hey, Abraham, I'll make you a deal. I'll swear by myself. And then the writer of Hebrews says, so two unchangeable things, God's promise and him confirmed it. And guess what? It happened later than Abraham imagined, but it happened. And a little scrunchy little faced Isaac came popping out and they were old. You imagine that day. Look at the Lord's promise there. What are we going to do with this? A hundred years old. God, give me strength. (laughs) You didn't know how much strength you were going to need for his promise, did you? Okay, for when, this is what it says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their dispute, An oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise that the, what's that word? Unchangeable character of his purpose. God is unchangeable. His purpose is unchangeable. His character is unchangeable. He is not like us. He is unchangeable. God does not change. So it says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, the unchangeable character of his, of his promise and the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. The litmus test that we use in here, everybody failed, God passed. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, under this persecution, I know it, I know it seems bad. I know it seems like everything's up in upheaval. I know it seems like it's not working. But listen, God swore the promise to us. He swore the promise to us. And because he promised, just like Abraham to himself, the unchangeable, two unchangeable things, it's going to happen. So where does that leave us? Malachi chapter three, verse six, for I, the Lord do not change. Therefore you are children of Jacob are not consumed. He was telling Israel, I promised you I'm keeping the promise. Then you read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It doesn't change. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and will not be fulfilled? The unchanging creator of the universe, the creator of all that we know, the creator of you and me, has established the difference between good and evil and it's never changed. Oh man, wouldn't it be better if there was just a little bit of nuance in there? It would make it easier for us, wouldn't it? We could pray prayers like, God, lighten up a little bit. It's 23, it's 2023. We got Netflix, Lord. You didn't plan for that. 
We got, we got fun things that they didn't have when Abraham was around. How, how, how can we really know what's right and wrong, Lord? How can we know? The truth is our understanding of morality will increase as our spiritual maturity increases. Here's the thing. I can always, mm, I don't know if I should say this. It's a litmus test to tell your spiritual depth if you're questioning basic morality. Are you following me? If we're, so, so remember, you remember when, he, when we started the conversation, you should be eating meat, but you're still drinking milk, and this is a problem, and this is why you can't discern between good and evil? Our level of spiritual maturity will determine our understanding of morality and good and evil. And I'm going to tell you something. That's a scary thought with the church as a whole nowadays. We have whole denominations debating things that we've never debated before because of our lack of spiritual maturity. We're questioning things that God said was, this is right and this is wrong. And we're going, it reminds me of the Garden of Eden. Did he really say that? And so we're questioning, we're questioning, we question. And the problem is we're questioning each other. We're not going back to the word of God. So as, so as biblical, biblical illiteracy increases, our understanding of morality decreases. Are you following me? So the only way our understanding of morality is to increase is our spiritual maturity increase. So how can we understand what the unchangeable God set in place to be right and wrong for all throughout all eternity if we don't know him? It makes sense that the culture we live in today would be descending into the pits of hell at every turn. Because why? Because we've rejected the one who said this is right and this is wrong. And now we have no understanding except for whatever makes us feel good in the moment. Hey, what's right? Well, I mean, do whatever makes you feel good. Have you been around your neighbors lately? Have you been around some of your family lately? Some of the stuff that makes them feel good is not good. Think about this. If you did everything that made you feel good. Hmm. Where would your family be right now? Where would your kids be right now? What would your neighborhood look like right now? You, uh, half the neighborhood would be burned down. I know some of you. You'd be like, that guy ain't mowed his grass in a week. I feel like burning his house down. You're like, oh, well, do whatever makes you feel good. That's right. That's, that's the way you need to embrace it. When we say it like that, it's so absurd. But that's where our culture is headed. We're going to reject the one who never changes to embrace the thing that always changes. And then we look at each other and we go, well, what are we going to get arrested for? What are we, who's going to decide what's right and what's wrong? What, what are you going to get a ticket for? What are you, what's going to be a crime? What, what, how, do we, how do we punish? How do we do this? How do we do that? What, what is right and wrong? And, and we're just in this convoluted time. Why? Because our understanding of spiritual maturity has faded like a sunset. 
The writer of Hebrews said, for this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone else to teach you again the what? Basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish again, everybody, good from evil. So we've established that God is the one that doesn't change. He gets to decide. And then we've also established our understanding of God is what helps us grasp what is good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying in the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. These are things that he was dealing with at the time. This is the things that the church was just wrestling with. And it was like, come on, you know this already. You know this. Move on. At some point in time, the church has to stand up and go, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to read it. More than a verse a day, more than, we're we're just going to, how will I ever teach my kids what's right and wrong if I don't know? If I don't know, if it's situational, if there's not an absolute, it's not objective, if it's not God said. You know, every now and then, it's okay to look at your kids and go, God said, blame him. Why Why can't I do this? Stop blaming the husband, stop blaming the wife, well, your mom's had your cutting. No, your mom trusts God. Your mom trusts God. I trust the Lord. We read it together. God said this was not a good thing. Ooh, it is quiet in here. They are cheering online. Let me ask you this. I determined I was going to be provocative this morning. When is it right to commit adultery? When is it right to kill a baby? When is it right to murder? When? These are questions that our culture is asking. And to be honest with you, it's, it's like the ocean is just like this. When is it right to commit adultery? It depends on when you're living. It depends on when you're living because... Because I can have people come to me and be like, oh, this was justified. We're in 2023. We have to ask ourselves, because the culture decided it was okay, because all the movies we watch make it okay, because the songs we listen to make it okay. We do realize right now, we have ministries in the church to deal with the after effects of abortion. Why? Not because it was right, because it was against God's will. I don't need counseling because I did something according to the will of God. We care for people who've made mistakes, but that doesn't change the fact that it was not God's will, that it was wrong. So the writer of Hebrews is admonishing us. Our inability to determine what's right and wrong, good and evil is because our lack of understanding of who God is and what his purpose is for us. And we've read this so many weeks in a row, Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Look at your neighbor and say, don't do it. 
But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. You will be able to know. We don't have to guess. The band's going to come up. I'm going to leave you with this. The truth of the matter is this. Culture is always moving away from God. It's, it's the problem of sin. We were born sinful. Now, I know your baby was cute and all, and you're like, oh, look, ain't never been a baby this pretty. I know that. But that baby was born sinful. Give them a couple years. And they'll prove it. I'm not, I love kids. That was a lie. I, 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 love the, I love the whole idea. But the truth of the matter is, here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is we were all born sinful. And the pull on us is not to godly things, but it's back to sinful things. That's why Paul wrote that we were a slave to sin. And that there needs to be a transformation in our lives to not be a slave to sin, but be a slave to righteousness. And then Paul would also write, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Why? Because every person in the room that's ever prayed a prayer or ever read scripture and found out what God's will was for your life and what was right and wrong, it, the, 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 the temptation to do the exact opposite did not flee you. You had to flee the temptation. So what happens is, is in culture, we're constantly getting pulled away from God, not towards him. The culture by default is the river is flowing away by default. And I know maybe there's one instance where water runs uphill in some weird place, but it's not typical. Water runs downhill, the easiest path. And so that's what culture does, downhill, the easiest path. Oh, we like, they were so prudish 50 years ago. The church and their beliefs, you know, you know, those fun those, those people in the church, they just think right and wrong, never changes. And what happens? It just keeps flowing. The river keeps flowing. The river keeps flowing. The river keeps flowing. At some point in time, you have to anchor yourself to something that's not changing. And through hard work and faith, you have to pull your, you and your family back up to what's right. Listen. It doesn't stop. The writer of Hebrews is telling them under persecution, listen, there's a hope sitting in front of you. I know it seems a long ways off like Abraham's promise. I know it seems a long ways off, but don't let go of the rope. Don't let go of the rope. And matter of fact, secure your grip on it. Secure your grip on it. How do I do that? I do it by biblical, by disciplines, by godly spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, prayer, knowing what the word of God says, not a verse a day. Can, can I tell you, you can't understand God reading one verse a day. That's, that's 365 verses a year with no context. Say one sentence to your wife a day and see how that works. I've done it. It's not good. But if I can paint a picture for you today, that what God said, if the creation was right and wrong, is still right and wrong, and the only way we redeem is to hold on to that thing and pull ourselves against the river. And to strap things around your kids and you pull them with you, and your spouse and you pull them with you, and your neighbors and you pull them with you. 
the church is the last best hope for anything this country or this world will ever experience. It's the church. And if we don't understand what's right and wrong because we're too immature to dig into it, then there is no hope. The writer of Hebrews is saying, church, you have to stand up. You have to stand up in these circumstances and and know it and embrace it. And he's still saying the same words to us this morning. Amen, stand to your feet. I wanna pray for you. I hope you didn't take this today as some mean fire spitting preacher that just wants to demean everybody. We are at a crossroads and I know that's been said for decades, but I'm telling you the stuff that comes on TV now with your seven-year-old sitting in the living room. We're at a crossroads to be able to go, that's not good. What they're experiencing, we've got to change it. And it's not by being mean to people. It's not by demeaning people. It's by the church just rising up and go, hey, we love you, but this is right. And as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. This is what's right. And this is what we're going to do. Can we pray that way today? Can we pray that God would give us a holy confidence and a passion for his word and a passion for him and a passion to be able to discern what's right and wrong in our culture? Father, we ask you for those things. We ask you for those things. We ask you to lead us past immaturity. We ask you to lead us so that we can discern what is right defined by you. Give us grace and mercy for people that disagree, but Lord, we pray we'd hold fast to the truth. Even if it means swimming upstream, we pray that we'd hold fast to the truth. And Lord, we pray that through our lives, people would come to know you as the truth, as the way, the truth, and the life. And we ask you to empower us to do both of those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Can you say amen this morning? Hey, encourage people through the week. Get on a Bible app somewhere and start reading the Word of God every day. Lean into the truth. We'll see you back here next week.